A few years ago, one of the kids in my online coaching program said to me, Coach Rebecca, I wish we could just go to a gym and have you as our coach. We would all be so happy and so confident. And that warmed my heart and I was like, oh my gosh, that would be the best. And that comment stuck with me for years. So now I'm going to do something about it. I am inviting gymnasts from all over the country to join me for the first ever Confident Gymnast Camp this August 3rd and 4th. This camp is all about breaking through mental blocks. So if you're struggling with a skill and you want me and my team to help you break through in real time, then check out confidentgymnast.com for details. Hi guys, today's podcast is all about what to do if your coach or your gym refuses to give your child physical support, spotting, mats, you know, things that they might feel like your kid does not physically need. And this is really common, actually. Some coaches and families fear that too much spotting, too much putting their hand out becomes a crutch that they'll get stuck with forever. And I'm going to give you my opinion on the matter. Today, I'm going to talk about why I got stuck with spots as an athlete, what happened when I broke the spotting rule when I was a coach, and how to work with and around inflexible coaching policies. And if your athlete is struggling with a mental block, if you haven't already, make sure to check out my free training for sport parents. You can register right now at completeperformancecoaching.com slash free. If you can relate to my kid needs a spot mentally, but not physically, and it's driving everybody crazy, then definitely check out this training. It's all about how to help your athlete overcome mental blocks without being too controlling or too involved. Again, that's completeperformancecoaching.com slash free. And now here's today's episode. Welcome to the Perform Happy Podcast, where athletes and their support squad come to learn the secret weapon for sports success. I'm your host, Rebecca Smith. First, I was a scaredy cat gymnast, then a coach. Now I'm a sports psychology expert and a parent. Athletes, whether you're feeling stuck or you're having the best season of your life, I'm here to help you reach peak performance and maximum enjoyment. It's me, Coach Rebecca, and I am here to talk to you today about what to do when and if your gym or your coach has a policy against spotting. And so what I mean by spotting, if you're not familiar with the term, it's when an athlete has their coach actually physically hold them, catch them, manipulate their body so that they feel a little safer while they're doing the skill. So when I was a kid, I was that kid on the beam who needed my coach to stand there and hold her arm up and just stand there. And then I could do my back walk over or I could do my back handspring. But if she wasn't standing there, I couldn't do it. There were times where I would have her give me a three-finger spot or a two-finger spot or a one-finger spot. I mean, she really was not doing anything for me physically, but I couldn't do it if she wasn't there. And this probably went on for a year. I had competed this skill and one beam, beam was my best event and my worst enemy, and I had done it. I had done it over and over and over, but I would have these dips in confidence and I would need her to stand there. And my coach, who I adored, would do it for me and it allowed me to be as successful as possible. I had another coach 
who did not spot and was not interested in standing there. And she was really pretty much like, Rebecca, do your skill or go climb the rope. I'm not going to stand here and watch you. So I would honestly say neither of those actually solved my problem. And my problem was I lacked confidence to go for it and I lacked self-trust. I didn't trust myself. I didn't trust the skill. And I didn't feel like I had enough information. My brain didn't have enough information to trust that if I went backwards, my hands would get on the beam and I would be safe. So that ended up killing my gymnastics career. Now that's a little side, little little tangent, but I want to talk today about spotting. And so then I go from this gym where it was one coach spotted me all the time, one never spotted me, to I coached for eight years at a gym where spotting was not allowed on beam. And I walked in and they were like, oh, by the way, we don't spot on beam. And I was like, oh, okay. And they said, because we don't want kids getting dependent on it and using it as a crutch. And so I could look back on my my quote unquote crutch of that spot and go, okay, well, maybe there's something to that. And I didn't ask questions. I was the newer coach. I was at the bottom of the totem pole coaching the you know middle and upper level optionals. So I just went with it. And then what happened was I started spotting kids on the line. You know, I use like, I use the sort of workarounds because I realized some kids are really kinesthetic, meaning that they learn by feeling. And until that kid felt the exact thing I was asking them to do, they weren't getting it. So some kids I would do, I take them to the line on the floor and I'd stop them in the middle of the back walkover and I'd hold them and I'd shape them. I'd get them feeling their legs, feeling their toes, seeing their hands, where their hands are on the you know imaginary beam. So they're using the sense of sight. They're using their feeling sense. They're listening to the cues that I'm telling them, squeeze, point right here. Do you feel that? So the entire learner, the whole learner was engaged when I would do this with the kids. And the more that I would actually, you know, manipulate the, the kids' bodies and be like, do you feel this? Okay. If I move your leg like that, can you feel the difference? And these kids were like, yes. Oh my gosh. That makes me feel much more confident because I actually understand where the heck my limbs are when I'm upside down and backwards on this thing. So then seven years in maybe where I was like, all right, I'm the beam coach and I'm going to just do what I want. I started spotting on low beam. And this all happened one day when one of my athletes who just could not get her back handspring off the low beam, this girl, oh, God bless her. She's one of the sweetest girls, one of the best teammates, super positive. She could not get off the low beam. And so finally I was like, come here, (laughs) come here. I got her on the low beam. And I did, I spotted her through one so she could feel it. I slowed her down. I helped her get her hands in place. We really worked on the feeling of the skill, which she wasn't able to feel when she was just trying it by herself and kind of thinking like, did I do it? Did I not? And after a couple days of working with her and actually spotting her through it, she felt more confident and she chose to go to a higher beam. So then I was like, hello, I am spotting people. Like this works. And that's what I started to realize was, no, I don't want to be the person standing at the high beam with my arm up for all of eternity, but I do want to help these kids with these, what I call confidence bridges, you know, where 
one beam is too easy, the next is too hard. Sometimes just having a coach there who's really hyper-focused on you, who's helping you to confirm that your technique is proper and safe, that can allow that bridge to the next level. So I am a fan. If you hadn't already guessed, if you've hung out with me before, you probably know I am all about give that kid what makes them feel safe. And if their brain feels safe, their brain is going to play well with their body. If their brain does not feel safe or there's too much unknown or they're not sure if their hands are going to get on or if their hips are going to be square or if their body is going to be straight on that beam, if they're not sure, the brain's going to go, nope, we're not doing this. So I want to I show it to you in a different way too. I want you to think for you gymnasts out there, how many kips did you need spotted before you made your kip? Now today, I'm going I'm to age myself. Today, there are many more fancy drill machines and bands and grabbers and benders and holders. And so maybe you have some incredible tool in your gym that made it so that no coach ever had to spot you on a kip. But my experience with a kip, for those of you who are not gymnasts, like you glide out, you bring your feet to the bar, and then you pop up on top. It's like the, the universal mount after a certain level. You can't learn that skill without having somebody move you through it or something move you through it because you have to understand the timing, the technique, you have to build the strength. I remember when I was coaching bars, I would be so sore. My arms were so sore. Every time I I worked with like level two or level three on bars, because it was kips, 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 and you're just spotting, spotting, spotting all day, every day. So what if a gym had said, no spots on kips? Wouldn't that be ridiculous? Like I think it would be ridiculous. But there's this like this thing where it's like, it's okay to spot for technique and strength. It is not okay to spot for mental purposes. That's basically what it means when a, a gym says, we don't spot on beam. We don't want there to be a crutch. We don't spot on tumbling because we don't want there to be a crutch. That really means we're not willing to spot mental struggles. We're only willing to spot strength struggles. And that to me is, well, I'm going to say BS. Like the mind needs just as much support as the muscles do, in my opinion. So I'm going to tell you why I think it is so important to have those spots. And I'm going to tell you in terms of imagine that. The reason that you're not going for your skill is that you have a phobia, okay? Which means basically an irrational fear that's preventing you, that's physically preventing you from doing something. So someone can have a phobia of spiders and they can have an intense physical reaction at just the mention of a spider or just a picture of a spider. Someone can have a phobia of elevators, which means that they would have, you know, an irrational response to an elevator, the idea of an elevator, the picture of an elevator, and definitely the concept of getting inside of an elevator. So a mental block is very similar. If somebody is stuck on a skill, they're not, they're just feeling very blocked. Like they physically can't go for a skill. It's sort of like a phobia. So I'm going to give you an example of how you break through and how spotting might play a role in that. Okay. So imagine that you have a, an intense phobia of elevators. Hey guys, quick announcement break. Right now, we at Complete Performance Coaching are looking for five athletes who are ready to break through their mental blocks for good. 
If that sounds like you or your child, then sign up for a free consultation call with one of my amazing coaches as soon as possible to see if you're a good fit for our Perform Happy Elite training program. This program includes one-on-one coaching with the world's top mental performance coaches, plus tons of support for athletes and their parents in between sessions. You can sign up today at completeperformancecoaching.com slash consult. Talk to you soon. If you work with a psychologist to overcome that phobia, they would go through a process called systematic desensitization. You may have heard me use that term before. And what that means is that you're doing little exposures to the the thing that you are so afraid of, calculated, purposeful, while learning coping skills. And eventually, each progression will feel safer and safer and will and your brain will adapt and then you will be more willing and ready to try the next exposure. So, you might start by just looking at a picture of an elevator. It may elevate your heart rate. It may make you a little sweaty. It might make you feel like, "Oh no, what if they're going to make me do this?" and you get you think back to, you know, that time you got trapped in an elevator. Your brain is going to flood you with lots of reasons why you should not look at that picture. Meanwhile, you're deep breathing, you're present, you're with it, and you're safe. And your brain is starting to realize, okay, this is not a real elevator. You're right here. You're okay. It's okay to look at a picture. Okay. And so that would be the first set of exercises would be maybe looking at that picture, feeling what's happening in your body, allowing your coping mechanisms to relax it. And then let's say a week later, it's time to start actually being in the same physical place as an elevator and you're walking up to it, you're looking at it and you're having that same experience where you're flooded with anxiety. You have a lot of what ifs and what could go wrongs and I don't want to do this and they, I hope they don't make me do this and when am I going to have to get in that thing? And you just are in all of those, that negativity that your brain is sending you because it feels like it is genuinely not safe to go anywhere near that elevator. Okay, so then the next day or the next week, you might be just stepping a little closer and the doors are opening and closing and you're going through your process of learning how to cope, learning that you're safe. Then the next day or the next week, you go and maybe you're putting an arm in and out. That's it, while someone holds the door. And then you might move on to putting a foot in, like, you know, doing the little hokey pokey. Then you might run in and run out the next day or the next week. Then you're going in for maybe five seconds and going out. You're flooded with anxiety. You have all those negative thoughts. But it again, it starts to feel manageable, at which point you go in for a little bit longer, a little bit longer, and then you start to allow those doors to close while you have somebody there with you, making sure that you are safe. And then eventually you're going to go up a floor, up two floors. And over time, your brain through this process is going to allow you to go all the way up as many stories as you like. That's the way that systematic desensitization works. Now, because we're in competition season in in many sports, especially the higher levels in gymnastics, what if you are a uh, professional elevator rider and you have a meet in three weeks and it's the state meet and you need to get on that elevator? Then your coach is like, hi, we don't have time for all of this in and out hokey pokey business. We got to get you in that elevator and throw you up to the 
the the roof. Like we got to get this show on the road. So on day seven of your systematic desensitization journey, your coach throws you in the elevator, closes the doors and sends you to the roof and you get off. Do you think that you would be more confident or less confident? Take a second and think about it. Would you feel accomplished that you had done it or would you feel less confident? Okay. A lot of people would say, yeah, that sounds way faster. You should definitely just do that. Just jump in and do it and realize you didn't die and you'll be fine. Well, what actually happens is that you are so terrified. You feel like you are on the brink of death from the brain perspective. You are so terrified that it is the worst experience you've ever had. You don't know when you're going to get out of there. You're hyperventilating. You're thinking of all the things that could go wrong. Your life is flashing before your eyes. You get out of that elevator. You gasp for breath and you think, not only am I never riding an elevator again, but that coach is dead to me. I don't trust that coach. So if you are not ready, if your brain is not ready, we all know you can physically walk into an elevator, press a button and go up and and survive, right? We all know this. We've all done it. But to the brain of that person who is experiencing that phobia, it is very real that that's not safe. And if somebody forces them to try something that doesn't feel safe, it does not speed up the process. It actually puts like the biggest breaks on the process because now you don't trust yourself, the skill, or the coach. So back to spotting. Spotting is those middle progressions that somebody in the elevator with you that's like, hey, if you if we get stuck, we're together. I got snacks. We got this. I have a cell phone. I brought a whole bag of tools. You know, that's you in there with somebody who knows how to get out. That makes your brain feel like, okay, I can try this. Okay. So don't rush it. That's why a lot of the time when people do what I call chuck and pray method with hard skills, they're like, my coach is going to be disappointed. I got to do it by this weekend or they won't let me compete. You know, whatever. I got to fly to the top floor through this elevator right now or else it actually makes confidence worse. And you might be able to pull it off. You might be able to chuck one skill. You might be able to do one out of meat, but it feels so scary that you get back to practice and you can't do it again. So first of all, I love flexible coaching, okay? It is a coach's job to push an athlete out of their comfort zone. So the psychologist in this example, it's their job to say, I think it's time to move to the next progression. How do you feel? And it would be a collaboration. So the coach is, as they're supposed to be stretching the athlete's comfort zone. And then the athlete, it's their job to say yes or no. It's their job to advocate for themselves when they feel like they're being pushed too far or too fast. And if you have this collaborative effort, you can get any athlete away from the spots and the mats to doing amazing things independently. But efficient training, that's the thing is like people think it's more efficient to throw the kid in the elevator and send him to the roof. Not efficient because it sets them back a month or two months in confidence because they now are lacking trust. More efficient training requires open-mindedness, flexibility, and collaboration. 
every single Olympian that I have interviewed experienced a mental block at some point in their life. I have yet to meet an Olympian who has not experienced a mental block at some point in their life. And every single one of them has said to me the way they got through it was through collaboration with their coach, where the coach was pushing them lovingly and they were able to advocate for themselves when they felt like it was too fast or too much and the coach listened. So that's so important. If a coach has a blanket policy or a gym has a blanket policy, that can really lead to mental blocks and low self-esteem to those kids who don't conform to the mold, who aren't just, sir, yes, sir, how high when their brain is revolting and telling them this is not safe and sending all of the images and thoughts of what could go wrong. All that means if your athlete is experiencing this big flood of anxiety, it means that the brain is not ready for that yet. The brain is not ready to stand in the elevator and shut the doors. The brain needs to stand outside and look at the doors a little longer. And having a coach that can help bridge that gap is critical. Okay. So now parents, if you're struggling with an inflexible coaching environment, I go into this in detail in the Perform Happy community in the parent courses, but here's the short answer of what to do. If you are looking at your coaching experience and going, yeah, this is not doing my kid any favors that they will not spot them. Step one, talk to the coach, talk to them, give them the feedback. And in the course, I give you literally a step-by-step script. We have a whole module specifically on having tough conversations with coaches, but talk to the coach because unless they know what you're seeing at home and what you're experiencing and what your kid is going through, they can't make a change. And I like to give coaches the benefit of the doubt that if they knew what was happening, maybe they would want to be flexible. Okay. Step two, if nothing changes, so if you talk to the coach and nothing changes, talk to the gym owner or the management. And this, again, we go over this in the course. It's not about, this is how you need to do it. Coach Rebecca said on her podcast that you need to do this. So you have to change. No, it's all about collaboration of like, hey, let's see how we can meet our common goal, which is that this kid is successful. And after you talk to the gym owner or the management and nothing changes, that's when it's time to check out other places to train where the whole athlete can be coached, where they can you know, have their visual sense taught to, their physical sense, their hearing, where they can have all of their senses working together to learn in a flexible, collaborative, and nurturing place. Those exist and you should demand it for your child. That's my personal opinion. Okay, then finally, I'll give you a quick workaround because some of you live in the boonies and you only got one gym and I totally understand that you can't just up and leave, even though I'd love for you to and create a whole new culture and blah, blah, blah. But so here's the workaround. Let's say your coaches will not spot you. There is no other gym. You're willing to stay there. Ask yourself the question, what can I do without a spot? Okay, if I can't get a spot and it feels too scary on the high beam without one, well, then I then you're going to go to your coach and say, can I stack up a bunch of mats? And if they say no, okay, well, can I go to the low beam? No. Okay, can I lower one of the beams? No. Can I set up panel mats on the floor and draw a chalk line down the middle? No. Can I do it on the edge of the tumble track? No. Can I have a, co- you know, you want to you get so creative and be such a squeaky wheel that they can't help but be flexible. You know, that you're like, I would love to do that, coach. I would love to get up on the high beam and do this back walkover more than anything. 
but my brain's not letting me, but I think I could do X, Y, or Z, or ABC, or 28E, or 45Z. Like, I have so many ideas that we've got to be able to find something. Okay, so there's always a bridge to confidence. Usually a spot is a shortcut that can be quite quick and efficient. If you can't get one, you can figure out a different way. Okay, that's all about having that growth mindset that we talk about all the time and perform happy, getting creative, being open-minded. That is what will get you through the fear to the other side. All right, for anybody who is struggling with a mental block, oh man, do I feel you. That was what ended my gymnastics career. So I'm super passionate, if you can't tell, about helping kids over their fears and helping parents help their kids. So I have a free training that I would love to invite you to if that sounds like you or your athlete. It's all about how parents can help their kids overcome that fear without being too controlling or too involved. If you haven't already, I strongly encourage you to check that out. You can sign up at completeperformancecoaching.com slash free, watch the training, get some great tips, and I'll see you around soon. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the Perform Happy Podcast. If you're ready to unlock your maximum sport potential, head over to performhappy.com and join us. You'll be training alongside world champion athletes and Olympic hopefuls. And I will personally take you through my research-based system for overcoming fear and mental blocks, building confidence, and finding your flow. I'm coach Rebecca Smith, and I'll see you next time.